Good morning, Church on the Hill. It's so good to be with you. And Daniel and I are together today. Excited to have you back from Brazil and uh, next to me on the chair. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I was missing that part. Can you imagine I have a dream one night in Brazil that I was late for church? I woke up at panic. <laughs> it was so fun. It was like, oh, no, I'm in Brazil. But it was a, it was a funny story. Yeah. It's every pastor's uh, dream or nightmare. <laughs> you wake up in the middle of the night and you haven't prepared anything or you can't find oh, your yeah. clothes or something's gone wrong. Lost your voice. So, yeah. Hey, um, we are glad you're with us. We are in a series in the book of Galatians called The Freedom Gospel. And uh, we're around week four right now. We're going to go through the entire book, six chapters. And uh, there's some great stuff in there. And we invite you to come along today as we open chapter two. In fact, today we're going to cover a lot of ground. Some of it here at the beginning will go rather quickly, but then we're going to dig in in the second half of the chapter. So, yeah. yeah. Want to pray? Yes. So, God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to share the word with your people. And I just pray that you... You just guide us, you be with us mm. as we share the word, as we receive the word in, in, in different place, in the living room or in the car or whatever we are listening. We pray that your presence will be with us and you clarify anything that you want to speak to us. In Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Amen. You know, there's people that watch this uh, that are around the city of Salem or Kaiser area and, and so forth. Then there's other people that are watching this that are on the other side of the world, maybe in Africa, Romania. Some of our missionaries are watching it. People that we don't even know that somehow find our, 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 our sermon online here. And so uh, wherever you are, you know what's cool is the gospel applies to every culture, every language, every season of life. Every, every generation, that's the beauty of the gospel message. And so this morning, we're going to be in Genesis, excuse me, Galatians 2. And uh, we're going to set it up with a little bit of a, what I guess, a backstory that uh, Paul is new on the scene. Peter is an established apostle. Peter is sent to the Jew. Paul has been sent to the Gentile. We talked about last week where Paul had been miraculously brought into the kingdom. He was a, a gospel hater. He was a church destroyer. And all of a sudden now, everything's turned upside down because he's had an encounter with Jesus. And he said in, in, in Galatians 2, after 14 years... So Paul has been in a time of preparation last week. We talked about him in seclusion in Arabia for three years. So he's had a good chunk of time, almost two decades, as his ministry has begun to develop. He said, I, I went up this time with Barnabas and I took Titus along. And uh, I went to Jerusalem in a response to a revelation. And I met privately with those esteemed as leaders. And I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. So Paul has gone up. Jerusalem was the epicenter of, of the early church of Christianity. And so Paul goes up to the leaders there. And what he's doing is he's checking in with the, the team. He's checking in with those preaching the gospel. And we talked about last week, they had swapped stories. But I think now they're swapping not swapping so much, but they're, they're checking in with each other's teaching and call and doctrine to make sure they're all on the same page together. Yeah, it, it is amazing that part where it's like you, he, the, Paul goes back to the people 
who walk with Jesus to say, hey, this is what the revelation I got from Jesus and let's see if it's matching with you walking with Jesus because I don't want to run in vain. Imagine like the feeling of you run your race and then you run in vain. But then, and then he continued, Paul. He was like, yet even Titus, who was with me, was compared to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us a slave. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you, Galatians. He's, he's talking about this. He, he, he went there to check because somehow in the church there was people talking, especially because it was this conflict between the Jewish and the, and the Gentiles where it's, there's this story of for the Gentiles to become Christian. It, it was like, almost like they say it's not fair for you just to follow Jesus. You have to follow all the laws first, do all that the law required, and then you follow Jesus. And Paul, he was saying that there's people infiltrating the church. And it's almost like he, he's mm -hmm. talking about this trip in, into Jerusalem to check. So then you will see that he will start uh, protecting and explain this to the Galatian church so that they don't fall into this idea. If you're new to maybe reading the, the Bible or you had never read the book of Galatians or maybe you haven't read much of the Old Testament, um, what's, what, what you're going to see here and in the next few weeks is this idea of circumcision and it was a, a ritual that God had, had begun way back with Abraham and the children of Israel. It was a physical mark on their bodies, but but it, it had carried through to this moment where certain false teachers, grace was not enough. The free, the, the, the gospel for free just went against their religious grain, went against their Jewish grain of thinking, right? So that's what Paul is, 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 is telling us here. And so he says, as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. That would be the non-Jew. That would be everybody who wasn't of Jewish origin. Just as Peter had been sent to the circumcised, the Jew, right? For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles, everybody else. And he says, James, Peter, Cephas, and John, these esteemed pillars, they were the original apostles that had walked with Jesus. They gave Barnabas and I, me and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. Those leaders, those early church leaders, validated in a sense, Paul, we believe you're called of God. We believe God's hand is on you. We believe you're anointed and appointed to preach this message. And then they agreed that I should go to the Gentiles. They should go to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. So Paul finds in this, in this passage, you find this, what could have been a huge bone of contention, what could have been a division. Paul comes out of it saying, yeah, I think we're good till the next few verses. <laughs> <laughs>
So then it, we see this afterwards that it probably had a conversation and then it, it looked like that they, they mm. sat for a meal and or Paul is observing how, because it's, it's all around the meal. And then in Galatians, in, in continue on the verse 11, and then he say, when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men come from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth, of the gospel, I say to seven in front of all of them all, you are a Jew, and yet you, li you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jew Jewish custom? It is like you can see this tension that Peter create by, it, it's almost like he, he will sit down and eat and when some other people from their circumcision, he will stand up and walk away slowly. And then uh, Paul has to call him into in, a line. And it's interesting, this word, uh, in, in a line with the truth. Because it's, it's, it is almost like in the head of Paul. And his Paul is like, you walked with Jesus you knew Jesus. You sat with Jesus in, into a tax collector's table. You sat with Jesus with sinners. You remember like people criticizing Jesus. And now you are making this distinction of who can deserve or not. And this word that he says in a line with the truth, the word is, is the same word for ortho. That is a line and a strength. Like when you go to the orthopedics and then he will align your back or he will align the bones of your feet. So Paul is saying this, uh, Peter, you, you came out of the line of, of the gospel, what, it was the real, the, what Jesus was taught you. So it's like a chiropractic. I'm putting your back <laughs> into, into alignment with the gospel. Isn't that like a, uh, uh, th this, this isn't shocking, right? I mean, I, even in our own lives, uh, in the course of our lives, just... Some of us began following Jesus recently in the last couple years. Some of us have been following Jesus for decades. But it doesn't matter how long you've been following. There comes times where we drift. We, we drift into something that is not the gospel or is in danger of not being the gospel. And so Paul is calling Peter back into alignment. But what's, the, what's at the core of the issue here? That Peter was a good Jew. But Peter had been a converted Jew, right? Peter had come to know Jesus. It's not that he stopped being Jewish, but what he stopped being was gospel inclusive. Peter had, had stopped seeing the gospel as grace for all peoples. And when his Jewish friends would come down and eat with them, like we have here in Antioch, all of a sudden, Peter became very sectarian. The word sectarian is... Uh, is to divide, is to be overzealous for a particular belief in, in, to the degree that it causes division, right? We hear that word used when the, in wars, for example, in the Middle East, sectarian uh, conflict, where one, one group of a religious organization or one, one group of people 
uh, are fighting with another group and they're fighting over what is right, what is doctrinally correct. And, um, and sometimes the fighting is, is incorrect. But what you find here is that Peter has, uh, has been somehow pulled into the fear of these, these leaders that came down, these Jewish leaders. And so he walks away. He, he withdraws from the Gentile believers and says, well, all of a sudden now I'm not going to eat with them. And so Paul calls him out. He says, Peter, that is hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. And I want, you to, I want to bring you back in line with the gospel. And it, it's interesting because in Acts chapter 11, God has yeah. showing Peter this vision of, of animals. And, and God say, I, and I love this, God say, what I make pure, you, you don't, don't call it an impure. And it, it's, it, mm. it, the whole law, it wasn't about people. It wasn't about, it was about how to eat and not, and it, it was because God was taking this Israel out of Egypt where they were slaves to become a nation and God has to taught them the basics of washing their hands and w wash the animals. And there was, there was animals that they would not be able to eat because of health issue. But then they make this into towards people. They were like calling people that's unclean people. They're, they're, and then the gospel is not, it's this, the same vision of Peter had. It, the gospel is, I, I made the, everybody clean. Yeah, so Paul's going to uh, give us a short discourse, and this is what we'll focus on here, on, uh, on, on uh, kind of a statement, right? And I'm going to read the statement, and then we're going to just kind of pick it apart just little by little here in five parts. It says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. He said, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul is, again, for the churches there in Galatia, in that region, he, he's laying the foundation for their faith. Remember, this is being written to a Gentile church, a non-Jewish church, without all the history. He says, we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul is explaining his salvation through the lens of his Jewishness. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we find ourselves also among the sinners well, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? See, the Gentiles were seen as sinners. We'll get into this in just a second. Absolutely not. He said, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Through the law, I died to the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, if I could be justified by the law, then Jesus' death was not necessary. So we're going to unpack this just a little bit more so we can walk away with something that, for personally for us, like, oh yeah, that makes sense for me in 2022. 
So Paul said, we are justified by faith. What, what does this word justified mean? It's, it's to be made right at the core of our being. It's to be reconciled and restored to relationship with God. So Paul is saying, by faith, because we believe, that, not because we did a, a good job, but because of the good job of Jesus. We are made in, we are justified. We, it's, it's the idea of we're, we go back to the garden where Adam and Eve has a relationship with God where it says there's no, they were not hiding anything. They were naked. Being justified, it's like it's paid off and you were free to go and, and, and you were re, the reconciliation between you and God. Think about the, I heard a guy say it like this. He said, the word justified is to be made just as if, just as if you'd never sinned. Adam and Eve, before sin, walked with God and there was no barrier between them. There was no shame, there was no hiding, there was no guilt. And all of a sudden, when they fell, when they sinned, that's when all those things came back into their lives or came into their lives. So to be made, to, to be justified is to be made new, just as you were in the beginning, because then, and then the word justified is also a legal um, declaration, right? It, it, it's when you are accused of a crime and you go before a court and you have this stain of accusation against you, but somehow you are found innocent. You are justified in your, your innocence. And Paul says, and it's not by the works of the law. Mm. Paul would repeat that phrase he said three times in just two verses, not by the works of the law. What he's talking about is the law was seen as our effort, our good deeds, so that we would be justified. The law was seen as this list of boxes that we checked off one at a time. The Ten Commandments and then all the other regulations that came into play with that. And for the ancient Jew over the centuries, the law had become their pathway to justification. And what Paul is saying here is, the law is no longer my savior. I've met a higher savior. I've met a final savior. I've met someone who once and for all, Hebrews would describe this very well, who once and for all would take away my sin. The law no longer saves me. It's not that the law doesn't have any relevance anymore. It's a reference point, but it doesn't have the power to save me. And then Paul said, and we are found among the sinners. And I think here was where Paul, it, it, it breaks this idea of, oh, because you were Jew, you were better than the other one. And then he said, but if I'm seeking to be justified by Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners. And, and that is like we say, if you want to accept faith and justified by God, you also have to accept the idea you are a sinner. If, because it, it, we, can't, we can't ask for help if we don't understand that we needed the help. So Paul is saying this to them. It's like, just understand, we, we are sinners. We live among them. It, it, that means that Christ promotes sin? He say, absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law I die to the law, so that I might live for God. So Paul, in understand this, that all the laws is practiced, 
it it's, doesn't make you perfect or you make you better than the other ones. But it, it makes us uh, this idea of like we are just as lost as power, powerless over sin. Because the law, it was you have to, you go back and offer another sacrifice. And you go back and offer, it has to offer another one. And then like Bruce said in Hebrews, they say once and for all, Christ has offered the sacrifice. D.L. Moody, who was a very famous preacher in the 1800s, he had been converted under the preaching of another famous evangelist. And as a young man, as a young new believer full of zeal, he was going into the prisons of the day and he was bringing Bibles into the prison. And um, he had the permission of the warden and so forth. And he was going one evening in this prison cell full of these cells full of men and with his stack of Bibles. And one by one, he would go in front of the cell and you couldn't see inside because it was, they, it was dark and obviously it was artificial lighting back then uh, or non-artificial candle light and so forth. And he would, he would just gently say to whoever was in there, hey, my name is D.L. Moody and I've brought you a Bible if you'd want to read it and to, and to bring you the good news. And, and, and it was, he recounts this, uh, this story that one by one, every inmate, every, every person in that cell would, would come and say, listen, preacher, I'm not guilty. I, didn't, I was framed for this. I shouldn't be in here. The guy that was with me didn't get caught. And he went from one to another to another, and he couldn't find any guilty people in those jails. And then he came to a dark cell, and as he stood in front of the cell, he wasn't even sure if someone was in there. But as he listened... He heard weeping. He heard someone crying. And he said into the darkness, Son, my name is D.L. Moody, and I've got a Bible here for you, and I'd like to talk to you. And that man from the darkness said, Oh, preacher, he said, uh, You have no idea what a mess I've made of my life. You have no idea. I deserve to be here. I was caught red-handed. I've made a mess of my life. And I've come to the end of my line. And D.L. Moody said, son, I have good news for you. D.L. Moody finally found somebody that was lost in their own eyes. Until we recognize this. Think about this idea here. You think about this right now. That um, I, I, I have a, this is something I've said for years. I'm going to put it where it looks like a quote. It's just, but after 37 years of ministry, this is just my personal take on things of working with people. I'm convinced that the root of all of our conflicts, because I've worked with a lot of people in conflict, whether that's marriage conflict or racial conflict, economic conflict, uh, you know, on the job, whatever form the conflict took. But I found that the root of that conflict is in one of two areas, either one I refuse or I cannot accept the grace of God for my own life, for my own issues, for my own sin, for my own guilt. I cannot or I just will not accept that grace. I fight in my own strength to be justified. Or two, I won't extend that grace to other people. Think about that. Either I won't accept it for my own life or I won't extend it to the people around me. But in either case now, all I'm left with is human effort, human logic, and human reason. 
And, and if you think about what the implications of this, there will be, if there's no grace for myself, I am a proud and I'm a hard person on myself. Mm. And then I become an endless performer. Then I have to perform because I'm, I'm never achieved this, this point of it, it, the measurement. Or, or I live in self-hatred, guilt and shame, and then there's no grace for myself. So then I will self-destroy myself. Or, or, or with no grace for others. And then I become this arrogant, judgmental, mm-hmm. and a hard and unforgiving toward other people. And, and, then, and then become a source of division because there's no grace. There was like, I, when I'm not walking in grace, I become a judge of everybody. Because if, and then when you become a judge, you also have to make a, a sentence. Because then you would like you have to always decide if this person is good or not. You think about that. You think about whether it's just a, a conflict close to me, a conflict with my spouse, where we are in opposition to one another, where we have hurt one another, where we have failed one another, uh, where we have maybe even betrayed one another. Now think about how grace heals this. At some point, I have to admit, I have to admit that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter three. And until I admit that, there's no grace for my life. So what what am I going to do? I'm going to continue in my stubbornness. I'm going to continue in my pride that wants to be found right, that wants to win the argument, that wants to come out on top. And until I receive that grace for my own life, how could I possibly extend it to somebody else? And it's that grace that heals my vertical relationship. And it's that same grace flowing now out of me that heals my horizontal relationship. This is offensive to the natural man. Dan Allender, famous counselor, pastor, writer, he says, the cost of, for the recipient of God's grace is nothing. The cost for the recipient of God's grace is nothing. And he says, and no price could be higher for arrogant people to pay. Let that sink in just a second. You see, because if I don't receive God's grace, I still need the grace. That doesn't go away. And so I'll find another way to pay the price. I'll find another way to earn it. I'll find some way to apprehend it. Oh, but it's just such a trap. It's just like struggling in quicksand. I just get deeper and deeper and deeper. So, so Paul, he gave us the, I think it's like, it's almost a question like, what, what do I do? How, how to do this? How to mm. live with this idea? Because Paul is like, hey, I remember last week was all about who Paul is describing. He was the persecutor, this guy who is like, I am willing to kill. And I'm like, I did every those things. And then I found the grace because Jesus met me. And then he's like, how do you live out of this? And then Paul say this, I, I am crucified with Christ. And then verse 20, he say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is describing this tension that we live now. My old life winds and, and then Paul said, but I'm all in, in on this gospel. 
I'm all in. I am not going to have a half feet here and then half here. I'm going to be all in the story where I'm going to all the point. Where Remember, if you read, Jesus says to the disciples, if you want to come after me, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. And then he, he said, but if you, it's not just pick up your cross because there, I believe if you just carry your cross, there's time where you can put a cross on the side and do something. But Jesus told the disciples, but you also even have to die there. And Paul understood this. You know, it's, it's this idea of I, I, I am born again. You know, I, I am a born again, even though my nationality is a Brazilian and I'm from Brazil, and, and, and I have Brazilian passport, but I, I, the moment I, I step in, I become a citizen of heaven. It I become a different one. Then I have to live in, in, a, in, a, in a way that I will, I will represent well the, the place where I come from. And this is what Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ is living me. My decision as I, I base on all my relationship with God, not the things that I really want to do it. Isn't that interesting, the, 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 way it's, the way he words it? I no longer live, but yet I live. Hmm. So he's, he's, he's holding up this, this, this tension or this mystery that uh, it's still me. I'm still Paul. I'm, I'm, I'm Paul of Tarsus. Mm. I'm Paul, the, 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 the ex-persecutor of the church. I'm Paul, the educated one. But no, he said, I, I count all those things but loss. He would say in the book of Philippians, I count all those things as just refuse. I leave them behind. They're just garbage to me now. Somehow in here is the secret to a victorious and a fruitful Christian life. I can't stop living. I can't, and I can't expunge all of my past from my memory, right? I can't just erase the hard drive, all the things I used to think. So the tension of a broken world is still all around me. The temptation to feel superior, the temptation for my pride, whatever my pride is based on, strength or wealth or, 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 or culture, this is the fuel, pride is the fuel for this contention. Right. But Paul says, no, no, I'm jumped up on the cross not to be saved. Paul's not saying that I have. So I'm going to be crucified just like Jesus was to earn my salvation. No, he's identifying. He's saying that that man on the cross had every reason to use his power and use his position for his own good. But he made himself nothing. And Paul said, that's what I want to emulate. That's what I want to imitate. That's how I want to see myself. What we're describing here is repentance in the sense of it's a change of the way I see myself. It's a change in the way I see you and you and you. Before, we couldn't have possibly been brothers. We would have never eaten together. We would have never agreed on anything. But now the thing that brings us together is the gospel. And then he say, I do not set aside the grace of God. In verse 21, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And, and I think that's the key. If, if like Paul is one of the person that I really, really want to meet one day to talk to him because he, had the under, he understood that word grace. Because he's like, it, it, 
I'm not setting aside. It's like it's not like oh now I'm Paul and I'm I'm saved now I'm I'm gonna do things and then he's it's almost like he reminds himself all the time. It's like it's like the ring I have in my my hand. It, this is a symbol that reminds me I am married to my wife and I have a commitment to her. I live to to this commitment and Paul is like it, it grace is it could be this ring and in in. Paul's life where he say, I'm not going to set this aside because even though I will be doing things and I'll be working and I don't want to make this that the righteousness will come because of my work. It, it, and this is the key, the extension of the grace. And Paul is not just like, I, it's not like I receive grace, but I also, I give grace because if I do this, God is glorified. You know, it's, it's, it is the story of all Christian. When you're standing in line to, to, to pay your bills or to buy on, on the grocery store and the person in front of you, it's being mean to the, the cashier. And then you were there and then this person walk away and then you go there and you treat this person how? Gracefully. Yeah. And then the person's like, there's something different on you. And then he was like, yeah, that's the Jesus. It is not just like, oh, I'm a Christian, here's the Bible. It's because you understand grace. And then what you do is like Paul say, I don't put aside grace. And then you in there in the line to pay your grocery, even though you were late, even though this took a lot of time, even though the person is slow, you gracefully treat them well. And then remember, previous verse Paul said and then God was glorified in me and then because of the, the extension of mm -hmm. grace as we finish him um, there's a story that Jesus or, or there's a story that's recorded of an interaction over another meal and it's in Luke chapter 7 and it's the story of Jesus being invited into the house of a Pharisee a, a, a keeper of the law a professional keeper and teacher of the law of Moses, highly esteemed. And so to have Jesus in his home was a, 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 an extension of honor. And he's in this home. And while he's there, a woman comes up and she pours ointment or oil over Jesus's hair, anointing him. And it runs down onto Jesus's feet. And she bends down and wipes Jesus's feet with her hair. And the Pharisee has its, uh, a, a mental sort of a in, internal conversation with himself. And he mutters, if Jesus knew who this woman was, what a sinner she was, he would not allow her to do this. Jesus hears his thoughts and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. You see this woman? You see what she's doing? It's embarrassing, isn't it? He said, but I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but this woman has poured perfume on my feet. And therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see, it wasn't that the Pharisee had little to be forgiven of. It was that the Pharisee saw himself as having little to be forgiven of. And so his love towards Jesus 
was little as well. This is the danger, I think, of the gospel becoming common to us, the gospel becoming superficial to us, the gospel being nothing more than information that we can, you know, we can, we can say back to somebody. But this woman had experienced the deep forgiveness of God because she had experienced the deep rejection of the culture around her and maybe God himself in, in the sense of seeing herself as a sinful woman. And all of a sudden there's this expression of gratitude. And I, and I, I love that story of this woman because this man has this doubt in his head. It's like if Jesus knew. And it, but it, it reminds me about the story of the Samaritan woman in the well. When Jesus tell her, if you knew the gift of God that is talking to you now. And, it, and it, this is like... This is the amazing idea of we not getting used to having Jesus around us because he's a gift of God. And, and, and we, when we recognize this, our need of grace in our own life, and then it, it, it doesn't stop us to always freely give to other people. We, we for, to forgive easily to forgive ourselves and forgive others. It's almost like I, I, I picture this idea of when you marinate a meat and you keep it there in the, in the, in the spice and the sauce for two days or the, the overnight, when you eat, it, it tastes the whole spicy that you have. And so if you live in your life in grace, if I live my life out of in grace, the only thing that people will taste out of me it will be grace, will be mm. an extension of grace. Mm.